my background was I used to speak to students and looking at some of your eyes as I was talking about some of your adult children and even as we went into culture, wait till we get into violating values. But I was kind of looking at your eyes and you reminded me of when I speak to eighth graders on sex. <laughs> They're like, I can't believe you're saying this. So anyway, I'm looking forward to, to doing some, some Q&A with you too. But we'll be, uh, we're, we're, our, our decision here was to do 35 and 35. I'll take I'll do this in a little less than 35, and then we'll take some Q&A, and then I'll hang out in the back as we make the adjustment over to talking about the digital stuff. So, you know, we talked about culture, and what I want to say is, yes, it's possible to not agree with what's going on in the culture and still have a good relationship. And I think you're going to have to take the lead on that, not them. Don't expect them to come around. You take the lead. But it's very possible to have that discussion. Now, again, one of our daughters it politically is so different than us. And at Homeward, we never talk about politics. So I, I never publicly talk about politics. But in our family, we'll have conversations with politics. And we just say, hey, at Thanksgiving, uh, at, at Christmas, other times, we're not going to have a conversation about politics. Okay? So why? Because we're going to have my wife and my daughter, they're going to start arguing about politics. And they're trying to convince each other. And neither one is, they're almost unconvincible at this point. Okay, so what we just need to do is not have that conversation. So it's possible to still show, you know, my daughter, who's politically not in the same place as my my wife, her mentor is my my wife and they have a very close relationship, but they've also chosen not to have the conversation about politics. Okay, it's leaks out sometimes because they both are, you know, pretty politically active, but it leaks. But that's their problem, not my problem. so we could talk about the rapidly changing culture all, all day, right? But I want to move on to a couple of really important ones that I see as important anyway. And I want to ask you a question. As you think about your kids, are you enabling them or are, are you helping them? Now, there's nobody in here who would go, I'm enabling my kids. But in reality, sometimes we enable dependency by not, remember helicopter parenting? By not landing the helicopter. So let's talk about how to raise an entitled child or not. So principle number four goes like this. They will never know how far the town is if you carry them on your back. That's actually an African proverb. But what we have to do somewhere around age 18 is actually take the monkey, not that we're calling our children our monkeys, but take them off our back and place them squarely on the ground and let them begin to become adults themselves. And that's a really, really tough thing, especially if you have kids who are making really unwise choices. Um, you know, if you have kids, and, 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 it's, and I wish I could say, in general, that's for every person represented here, but that may not be. If you've got a child who's mentally ill, if you've got a child who's drug, you know, you know addicted to drugs right now, if you've got a, uh, an adult child who's just, you know, totally blown it, you may, one who has autism, whatever it might be, you may not be able to, do exactly what I'm going to tell you to do. But in reality, for most adult children, what we've got to do is we've got to move from uh, helping, we can help, but not enable them. Uh, I love this little sentence up here. It's going to come up on the board. Uh, nope, that's not that one. It's going to, is it, maybe, it's, it, maybe it didn't make it. Uh, I wish my, yeah, there it is. I wish a, a lady told me this. I wish my 22-year-old would schedule his own pediatrician appointments. And I went, that's an irony. I mean, that's like irony on several levels. A, why is he still going to a pediatrician? And two, why are you making the appointments? But I have a friend who's the president of, of a university, one of my best friends. And he said a woman called him up and said, so I have a complaint, and he's the president. 
And um, like he's thinking, how did he get there? I mean, he has several layers around him, I'm sure. But my, my son got a, a D on his business paper. And he's like, well, why, do you, why are you talking to me about this? He says, and I want you to go talk to the professor because he's a very good student. And so he said he would. And I said, why did you do that? He said, well, that's, I said I would, so I was going to. So I called up the business professor and said, hey, I've got this student here, and his mom says, you know, he wrote a good paper, and it was a D. What's the name of the student? Oh, I know that kid. He's, he actually does a pretty good job, but this was, it was an F paper. I just, I don't know what happened to him, but it, I gave him a D. But, yeah, I mean, he's a good kid. He'll, he'll do okay. Uh, but this was, yeah, it was a terrible paper. So my friend John <laughs> um, calls the woman back up and said, well, actually, he said that your you know, son does a good job. Typically, a lot of his papers are, are good. He's not his greatest student, but you know, this one wasn't a very good paper. He said he kind of just even gifted him with a D. And she goes, I am so offended. I wrote that paper. I have an MBA from Stanford. And you know, what is this, what is this woman doing? See? Is, is he, are they going to call when their kids are at, you know, sick for work? Oh, only 11% of parents have done that. So what we've got to do is we've got to actually quit enabling our kids. So we've got to be careful not to enable dependency. And I, I have to ask this question in my own life. Am I enabling dependency? Where I enable dependency is in money. So again, I'm not even going to talk about money. It's in, a, it's in the book, Doing Life with Your Adult Children, what the, you know, how you do that world. 75% of parents you know, somehow will help their kids with money. But are we enabling them? And... And that's a big question for me. Uh, there's a phrase that we use in the recovery movement. You earned it. So if your kids haven't done well, they've earned it. That, that means they earned um, a bad grade or they earned um, getting fired or they earned something. So they earned it. You earned it. And as adults, they're going to have to live with that. A guy named Sean comes into my office with his mom and his dad. He's just graduated from UCLA. It's a great school in Southern California. And he graduated with honors. And then he spent a, a summer, what they do, I live near Newport Beach, and they all have money, so they, you know, he, I think he went to Europe or someplace. And so he was finding himself in Europe or whatever. Then he came home, he didn't get a job, but, you know, he was the kid who, well, he, was, he was a good student, so it means he was capable. But he'd sleep in till one, and then he'd play games, and he was a vegan, so his mom cooked him a vegan meal, and, and his, the mom and dad were not vegan, and so they had another meal, so the mom's cooking two meals, and then they find out that Sean is smoking a little pot, and that's driving him nuts. And he's got their credit card, and he gets an allowance, but he doesn't, he's not making any money. And so, you know, Sean comes in, and Sean has like a smirk on his face. I kind of like the kid, but he kind of has a smirk. I have a couch. It's not that big of a couch. He's sitting on one side of the couch with his arms all like this, and the mom and dad are on the other side, you know, kind of just connected. And they are so mad at Sean. And they're mad at the whole situation. They're mad at each other, and they're talking, and, you know, they're telling me all this stuff, and they're talking about the, the smoking pot, and they're talking about these other things. And finally, the dad blurts out and goes, Sean has a problem. I went, I don't think Sean has a problem. I think you've got the problem. Sean has a great life. You're, you know you're paying for his pot. I'm not paying for his pot. Well, who's, who's paying for it then? You're giving him an allowance. He doesn't have any money. And Sean goes from the smirk to like, hey, I thought you were on my side. But the point that I was saying was these parents... They needed an exit strategy for this kid. Now, I don't mind if kids, you know, graduate from college and then if they have their time and they play or whatever, that's fine. But now you help them create an exit strategy because they were enabling dependency 
And this kid was a good kid. He just needed to pull it together, okay? And so what we've got to do is maybe we have a Sean or two in our own life. What I say is we've got to teach our kids that there's pain in life. And what I like to say is that there's the pain of discipline or the pain of regret, right? So, you know, with my life, okay? So I'm working out now because I'm trying to lose weight. I'm trying to get in shape and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, that's the pain of discipline. Some of the, I'm sore. My arms are sore, okay? Um, pain of discipline. This is the pain of regret, okay? Amen. I hear that. Yeah. So it's, well, you, you, you had grapes, so you were fine this morning. You ate, I know, but I saw your wife was eating most of your grapes, so it was just your brown. Um, but the point that I'm trying to say here, friends, is that we've got to teach our kids that there's pain in life. And so sometimes it's, they have to learn the pain of discipline. Whether, would, would Sean, was Sean going to be homeless? I'd rather doubt it. And if Sean was homeless for a day or two, he, would, he was sharp enough to go get a job, figure out something, see? So the parents had to quit doing that. Don't cook your kid a meal. Don't make your adult child's bed. Why are you so upset about that? I mean, when Becca came back into our life, she was our, our middle child, and she was living with a girlfriend, and then she was going to go on and get her master's in clinical psych. And so she said, hey, can, can I stay at the house for, for two months? Of course you can. So we have a meeting on expectations. And I said, hey, so a um, couple of just, we just have a couple of expectations. One is we know you're an adult. You don't have a curfew, obviously, but we're going to be up. So if you would text us at 11 o'clock and let us know, I mean, her hours are so different than our hours. If you just text us at 11 o'clock, it would be something we, that's part of the deal. You can stay here, but it's part of the deal. Um, and by the way, here's a bucket and see this bucket. This is a toilet brush. I don't know that you've seen this before, but you're going to be in charge of your bathroom and we want, we just expect you to clean that once a week. Okay. It doesn't have to be perfect, but you know, clean it once a week and you're fine. And we actually have somebody who cleans our house every two weeks. And so we said, and we've asked her not to clean your bathroom. She's like, why? We said, because you need to clean the bathroom. Didn't you clean the bathroom in your apartment? She goes, yeah, because it drove me nuts. My roommate, you know, was terrible and blah, blah, blah. Well, what we're trying to do is, you know, teach her to do that kind of a thing. So it was a pain of discipline, pain of regret. So here's your goal. I've waited all this time to do it. Your goal is responsible adulthood. That's your goal. You want your kids to become responsible adults. They will not become responsible adults if you keep taking care of them. Okay, and I know that's not easy to hear. So the result of enabling is that we raise entitled kids who have a failure to launch. So land the helicopter. And I know that's hard for some of you. If you're a control freak, it's really, really tough, especially if you're just so grieving that your child is doing what we're going to talk about now. What do you do when your child violates values? Okay. So principle number five is you can't want it more than they want it. Oh, it's so hard when they make some mistakes or when they're going a different direction. You can't, but you can't want it more than they want. You know where I get that? From the recovery movement again. If your child was an alcoholic or a drug addict or whatever, you can't want it more than they want it. And so what do you do when your children violate your values, okay? Now, by the way, most of your children are going to violate your values. Not every kid here is represented violating values, but most of your kids will at one time or another kind of violate values. So what do you do? And now, first of all, I think this is a really cool um, statement. Good thing Easter is a season and not just a day because some miracles take time. So remember that you're in it for the long haul. This is a marathon. This is not a sprint with your kids. 
So especially if they're going through what we call the experimental phase, uh, we call this emerging adulthood, 18 to say 24, 25, sometimes even up to 30, they call it emerging adulthood. Some call it latent adolescence. And the word emerging adulthood, and I, I write a lot about it in the book, Doing Life with Your Adult Children, but the, the word emerging adulthood is a new, new phenomenon. So when I was getting my PhD, I learned that you had children, teens, which was the new phenomenon then, because the word teenager just came into being in 1942. Okay, So you had children, teenagers, and adults. And then you have elderly. Well, now, if you're studying the same stuff that I studied, you would have to study emerging adults because that's a whole different group set okay, with a different mindset. And so with that, I think it's important for us to, to understand that, that they are going through this process. So again, what do you do for, um, what do you do for these people um, in terms of this principle? You can't want it more than they want it. Well, first of all, you've got to offer tough love. Now, where parents get a mistake, or where I think parents make a mistake, is that they think tough love is being mean. Tough love is not being mean. Tough love, listen to this, is allowing the consequences of their poor choices to take place. So you're not enabling dependency because you're not taking care of them. They made a poor choice. They didn't get good grades. Uh, they, in fact, they were going to flunk. So instead of you paying for the next semester, it's their job to pay for the next semester. They have made some poor choices with their finances. Don't be bailing them out. Okay? And so again, tough love is simply allowing the choices that they've made to come into fruition with uh, you know, their results, if you would. Secondly is, is don't bail them out. I already said this. So we've got a friend who, who had a daughter, who has a daughter, and the daughter is a great kid. We know this kid pretty well. And she was caught drinking um, in a car and she actually had an open container. And I don't know the rules in Indiana or Kentucky, but in California, if you have an open container, that's worse than if you are drink, driving drunk. And so they pulled this girl over. She's beautiful. She's amazing. She's brilliant. She's charming. I mean, this is just one of these great kids. She's 18, so she's drinking underage. And uh, she gets, and she's by herself because she had dropped her friend off. So they pull her over, and they have her take a test, and she actually is right on the edge of intoxication, but not like, like she's, she's intoxicated, but she's right on the edge. It's one that you could kind of get thrown out pretty easy. And our friends have a lot of money, and so they could easily have paid for an attorney. They figured it would be about 5,000 bucks, and the attorney could just get this taken off. But she gets arrested, the open container, and um, the dad has to go bail her out, which is humiliating to this girl. It's the, if, you, if I could explain who she was, you would just get that this was just humiliating. The dad comes and gets her out, and said, hey, you know what, we'll talk about it tomorrow. Just come on over. I mean, she, she really didn't act drunk, couldn't, you know, whatever. She just was just barely. So uh, the next day, the mom, the dad, and her have a meeting. And he said, so here's the deal. We're not going to, we're not going to, we're going to allow this just to take, take place. So what that means, you're going to have to go to DUI school. You're paying for your insurance, and you're going to have to, your insurance is going to double. It's going to be on your record for 10 years. Do you understand that? we could bail you out, but we're not going to bail you out because you need to learn this lesson. Well, guess what? She's never drank while she's driving. She's made good choices from then on. It was on her record for 10 years. She's actually just, she's just turned, you know, I mean, I think she's like 28 or 29, so she's just gotten past. But, you know, she was looking for a job, and it's on her job. She had a DUI. Well, now it's not, but for 10 years it was. I think those parents made a really good decision even though they could have easily written the check for $5,000. I realize everybody can't do that. They could. 
safe. And I've often thought to my own self, what would I do in, in that place? I hope I would make that same decision because it was a really good decision that caused that girl never to drink and drive again, see? And she understands some of the, the ramifications. The other thing that I would say is you can't be a one-topic parent. So your heart is broken. Your daughter or your son has moved in with somebody. Your daughter or your son smokes pot. They dropped out of school. They made unwise choices. Uh, they voted in a different way than you vote. That whatever their deal is, you can't be a one-topic parent. I understand that your heart is broken, but you've got to expand the relationship so you're not just focused on that. I was talking with a, a, a woman a couple of weeks ago, and her daughter had moved in with her boyfriend in college, and she's just totally focused on it, only talks to the daughter about this. I said, does she know what you believe? Yes. Does she know how you feel? Yes. Then expand the relationship. Don't just, make, don't just keep talking about it, okay? Now, that's hard to do, and I, I understand that there's heartbreak in there, and you need a support system around you when your kids are violating values. This is not the time to keep this quiet. It's the time to talk to friends, to be in a small group, to share with the church. These people aren't going to look down on you like you're some kind of lousy parent. They're going to embrace you and help you and, get a, and, and help you get around you. When our daughter Becca made some poor choices, today she's not making poor choices. But when she had her bump, man, my small group, I'm in a small group. I've been in it for 21 years. They were the first people I went to. And yet they look at me as a guy who write, I write, book on, I write books on parenting. And, you know, my daughter's making some goofy decisions in, in the college years. You know what? Those people came around me. They didn't go, How? I'm never going to listen to you again. No, what they did is they embraced us and they, they helped us think through things. And they said, in our situation, you know, and then they, you know, it was amazing. It was wonderful. Kathy did the same thing. So this is the time to be open about this, but it's also the time to expand the relationship. You understand what I mean? Don't, I mean, if they like to go shopping, go shopping with them. If they like to go to a baseball game, go to the baseball game with them. I had a friend whose son just totally was in a terrible place. And he was so mad, and he always wanted to talk to him about it, and he was talking about it. And I said, look at you guys have always said you wanted to go up the West Coast and go to every professional base, starting at San Diego Padres, and then you go to the, California, or to the, uh, to the Los Angeles Angels, and then to the Los Angeles Dodgers, and then you were going to go to... Uh, uh, Giants, and then the Oakland Athletics, um, and then you're going to go to uh, Seattle and watch the Mariners. Why don't you do that? And so they did. And guess what? Amazing conversations took place. Not just about the thing that was burdening the father. It, brought, it got brought up. But what they did was they expanded the relationship. They did something that was fun. They did something that was meaningful that they'll, they'll, they'll remember for the rest of their life. Okay? So invest in that kind of a thing. So again, that's key, and, and I think that's, that's so important. Do they know how you feel? Do they know what you believe? Fine, then talk about other things. You can't dump your anger and frustration on them. I know you're angry, and I know you're frustrated, but you can't just dump it on them. Find other places to dump that anger and, uh, and, and that frustration, and you've got to find those safe places. So I love the story of the prodigal son, or what we'll call the loving father, and the story of, of, the, of the prodigal son is so famous, I'd rather call it the loving father. And I, and I want you to, to hear this in a different light. You probably know the story. It's the story that Jesus told in, in Luke 15. But what you've got is you've got a son who asked his dad for his inheritance early. In the Jewish world, they never did that. And the sons, this is not fair, but the sons got the inheritance and the daughters got nothing, right? 
So there's an older son and a younger son, and the younger son says, I want the money now. And so the dad, why the dad did this, I don't know. This was enabling. But the dad gave the money to, this, to the son. And the son went away, and the Bible says, went away and squandered it on partying and prostitutes. And he finds himself in a pig pen, which is so ironic. Jesus actually had a great sense of humor. And the sense of humor in this story is that he was actually, the kid was in a, not kid, he's an adult child, but he was in a, a pig pen feeding the pigs, and Jews don't eat pork, right? And finally he goes, you know, even this food looks good, and at least if I was a servant to my dad, so I'm going to go back home and see if I can get hired as a hired hand, because at least they eat, right? So what, a number of things happen. One is you see the father look for the son. He knew the son was coming. He'd been looking for his son. He loved his son. And he's, even though his son had squandered his life and squandered the family money, he, he, he was looking for a son, and he runs out and greets him, and he embraces him. There was a welcome mat that was out, okay? And then he says, throw a party. So he tells the servants, you've got that calf. Let's have a party here for my son. He was lost, and now he's found. And then the elder son comes up, and he goes, what are you doing? Because he's mad at his younger brother, and he said, why, why are you embracing? You've never thrown a party for me. But listen to what the father said. This is good teaching for us with this. The father said, son, everything that I have is yours. So in other words, he didn't change the, the money situation. The transaction was still the same. He'd given the kid all the money. He's not going to give him any more money. Son, all that I have is yours. But the son of mine was lost, and now he's found, so we're going to have a party. He didn't take care. He wasn't going to give more money to the son, the younger son. The older son got what he was des- what was what de- he was what was deserved of him. That's a beautiful reminder for us that we're called to be the loving father, even in the midst of if they violate values. I say this to parents all the time because it's such a big deal at homework right now. Um, the book is number two right now in one of its topics on Amazon. So the, that book has just gone crazy, and it was written. It came out in March of. 2019, and it's just the phenomenon is, is crazy. I mean, it's, it's now over a quarter of a million copies sold. And the point that I'm saying on that is that this is the crux of it. Is it possible for us to still love our children in the midst of them making some poor choices? Because you know what? When it all comes down to it, you know what the one question they have for you is? Do you still love me? You can have boundaries you can hold expectation. You can make choices that will actually cause them to be frustrated with you. And yet they're still going to ask, do you still love me? And it's very possible. This man showed it in that story. Yes, I can show love, and yet it's going to be you know, a, a tougher love. Do you still love me? So we had a big wedding this summer. So my daughter Becca got married during the pandemic in Central Park. Her husband is a rock band guy. I mean, rock band like played before U2 on a tour in Europe, and, you know, he's, that's, he's into that world. And so it was quite, a, quite a, uh, a story. They met in college, at a Christian college, and, um, and then he's been with this band, and he plays other things, and he's a studio musician. He was in New York. They just moved to Los Angeles. And uh, so we, we, we did the wedding in, in um, um, Central Park. It was pretty cool, pretty iconic. But then we had a second wedding within a year in... Italy, because they were going to do a destination wedding, but they, Italy was closed, right? So it was kind of a fun thing because, so I, I did both weddings, so to speak. And so on, this, on the second wedding, I stand up in Italy, 
and I said to them, and it's pretty much the same people who were at the first wedding, and I said, um, I hope your second marriage is as good as your first, you know, and they just all kind of laughed. But anyway, when, when I was saying this, we were at this wedding, and we were in a villa for five days. You can tell that rock music does pay well. And um, so we're in this villa, and all of us were staying in the same villa. Water is just right there. It's beautiful. It's an incredible place. And Kathy and I were sitting on Chase lounges, and our our three daughters were sitting together, and they were interacting. And it was funny because the three son-in-laws were together. There were other people there, but it just happened that they were all interacting. And three grandkids were running between all of us, and you know, just a seven-year-old and a and a four-year-old and a two-year-old just kind of running around. And I put my arm around Kathy, and I said, "You know, it's good. It's good. Look at this. You know, I didn't know what it was going to be like when they, uh, you know, left our house, but look at it now." You know, they're connected. Uh, they love Jesus. Um, they don't vote the way you vote, Kathy. <laughs> but, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it reminded me, I know I should quote the scripture right at this moment, but let me quote Lilo and Stitch, a Disney movie. This is my family. It may be small. It may be broken, but it's still good. Yeah, it's still good. And at that moment, that's how I felt. So for some of you, this table has some of the younger adults you know, and if it's crazy and whatnot, a lot of them come through. A lot of them come back. Even kids who are fleeing the church after they get out of high school, what, when do they come back to the church? A lot of times they come back once they get married, once they make babies. Not everybody. But th- those kinds of things. And, and, and so it's important for us to, to remember that. That, um, yeah, it's, it's our families. It's, it's not perfect. It's broken sometimes, but it's still good. And then one last principle, and then we'll take some time for Q&A, is... Find joy. You, I'm going to just focus on you right now. Find joy in the empty nest. Now, I realize a couple of the, this table, they've got teenagers too. And, and obviously, some of the things that I've talked about really work with teenagers. In my book, Understanding Your Teen, which I wrote before uh, Finding Joy in the Empty Nest, in my book, uh, Understanding Your Teen, there's some of these same principles because you're, you're moving them from dependence to independence in those teen years, but you're still in charge. But just to focus, because most of you are probably in an empty nest situation, um, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it at all, but let me give you this principle. When your child leaves home and their life fills up with fresh experiences, follow their lead and do the same thing. Way too many people have invested those two decades, and so they get into the empty nest, and they don't know what to do. They Like Kathy. Kathy had... You know, she was the sun, and the girls were the planets revolving around the sun, and I was another planet who kind of jumped in around the sun, and so all the girls are gone, and Kathy didn't know what to do. She had lost her, her, her main job, so to speak. And she says, if she was here, she would talk about it more articulately than me, but she kind of felt like she was getting depressed. She went through what we call the empty nest syndrome. She had, I mean, she just didn't know what to do. She, her specialty is autism. And so she was, she was still working. She was finding meaningful uh, meaning in her work, but she also she, she felt like she'd lost her, her way a bit. You know what I did? I didn't think I had the emptiness syndrome. You know what I did? I just worked more. I went into the office earlier because I didn't have the girls to hang out with in the, at breakfast or whatever. Um, I stayed later because they weren't around. We weren't going to games or whatever the thing was. And so I had the same thing. But what we realized pretty early in that emptiness syndrome is that we had... We had put some stuff under the mat for our own life, our personal lives, our life with God, and our marriage. 
Okay, and, and again, I, uh, uh, some of you were at the thing last night when I said we have a high-maintenance marriage. Kathy and I do, but we have a good marriage. We just work at it hard. See? But we realized we had done some of that, and so in the empty nest, if your kids have new experiences and they have fresh experiences, why don't you follow their lead? Don't just sit there and mumble, why don't the kids call? Why don't the kids call? I text them and they don't text back. So instead, be proactive about you know, the meaning that you can find in, in your life, okay? Remember that games are always won in the second half, not in the first half. Now, in the first half, you build a foundation, and most of you built a really good foundation. And maybe the game didn't turn out exactly at halftime, what you thought it was going to be like. But games are won in the second half. And so that's when some of the greatest things you can do happen. Uh, there's a phrase in the book, uh, Empty Nest, that for some reason has just stuck with me, and I think I made it up, but I sure like it. Um, so I'm quoting myself, which is kind of weird. Significance in a well-lived life are never accidental. And I think a lot of times we've been living by circumstance and chance or with the kids at home. You know, it was crazy. And, you know, I, I miss, when my kids left, I actually missed their mess. I missed their complaining. I missed, you know, some of the stuff that I never thought I would miss. The, the wet towels on the floor. Them stealing stuff from, my, from me. Like, seriously, you took my toothpaste? You know, of course, you're my dad. I can take your toothpaste, you know. So whatever it was, I missed that. See, but what I had to realize was that I needed to move on. And, you know, for me, not saying this for everybody, but my legacy, my greatest legacy may not be my children. It may be my grandchildren. And um, I, was, look, I was talking with a woman over here who's, who's raising her four-year-old grandchild. That may be her greatest legacy. And is it easy? No way. And for me, it's a joy because I get to be with the kids. Kathy and I had all three of our grandkids over the weekend, last weekend, and then we handed them back to their parents and we could take a nap. <laughs> but that legacy there is, is, is pretty cool. I call it, uh, uh, and some of you can look forward to it, some of you are living it, but I call it a love affair between generations. But I want to close with this scripture, and then again, we'll take some Q&A here, and then we'll be done on time. But I love this scripture. It says, be alert, be present. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert and rivers in the badlands. So that scripture is found in Isaiah. That's the message version of it. But we need to be alert. We need to be present because God is doing a new work in our lives as well. So what is that? I think it's a really good season if we'll put our energy and our mind to it. Uh, to do that, we may have to understand that we're fired we may have to understand that unsolicited advice is taken as criticism. We may have to get our arms around this, you know, crazy culture that's on fire. We may have to quit enabling. We may have to understand that we can't want it more than they want it. I get it. But that's some work. But in doing that, oh, there's a great answer to, to where we can go and how we can end our lives. Or we can end our lives just mumbling and complaining, why don't the kids call? And life's miserable. We got a choice. So I kind of gave you the fire hose approach, you know, even kind of looking at you. Um, but let's take, a, let's take some, some Q&A. Anybody have something? And then afterwards, I'll, if you've got a personal thing, we'll, we'll talk later. But anybody want to throw something out? You have to talk real loud. You are the most quiet and, and, and polite group. Yeah. 
Yeah, finances are one of the bigger are one of the bigger things, obviously. And actually, the principle is help your kids become just like responsible adults. That's a goal for enabling, responsible financially. And so I think it's really important that you help them become stewards of their finances. Because your job isn't for you to be taking care of them for the rest of your life. It's actually for you, if, you, if you're going to come alongside, Kathy's my principal, um, is we'll help our kids, but we're not going to like buy the house for them. Okay, now some people do that. I totally get that. But um, I know a couple that actually, they took their retirement money, bought the dream house for their kids. They didn't even have the dream house. And then their kids weren't responsible enough to take care of their house. And so the house was going to go into foreclosure and they had their name on it. And so he had to continue working even though he was going to go retire. That was a poor choice on their part for doing that with their kids. Their kids didn't need that house. Okay, They wanted it, but they didn't need it. So I think when it comes to finances, I think it's very important that we, we do what we can to help them become responsible for their own finances. And if you continue to pay for things and if you continue to to help them, um, you're enabling them. And so that's enabling dependency in a way that we sometimes don't, don't realize it. So again, give them the freedom to learn how to become responsible adults. And if they have some bumps, they have some bumps. If they get into it with some debt, they have some debt. You're going to have to decide when your kids are young how much you're going to help them with college or not college, all those kinds of things. But be proactive about it. Don't let that stuff just um, come around. Like, a lot of times, couples don't like to meet. We do this thing called the summit, and, and what we really like about it is we meet every week, and we talk about that, and we talk a lot about the kids' finances. So our goal with our kids, we would say, how can we help them but not enable them? And, um, and so we made some decisions there that actually was a blessing to them and also was not so much of a blessing to them. But I think when it comes to the, to the finances, it's just critical that our, our ultimate goal is responsible financial, be responsible financial, and frankly, independent. Again, they may not be as wealthy as you would like them to be. Um, they may have to live in a small apartment for a long time, but people get along in small apartments. Many of you did. We did. See? And so instead of just you know, trying to, to give them everything, what you're doing is you're actually hurting them in the long run. Yeah, it's a great question. You used a great word, meddling. Um, I think specifically when you're talking about grandchildren, you, you have a couple of issues. One is some parents who have kind of walked away from faith go, we don't want you to you know, be involved in that. We don't want you to meddle. And to be, believe it or not, I think that you don't then meddle. I think you find out, that, but you build the relationship with the kids. And so you, you bring trust and safety to where the parents are looking for. It's not trust and safety what we want as Christians, but it's trust, trust and safety to them. Because there's going to be a time when, you know, the parents allow them for you to pay for them to go to camp with the children's ministry or with the student ministry or whatever. There's a time when that may change. And so you're in it for the long haul. But I wouldn't, I, I mean, like for in our case, I was thinking about our, our grandchildren. So Christy and Steve are very active in our church. But they don't, during the pandemic, they came back a lot later than us. And we're like, do you guys not come back because of the, of the health things for the kids? And they go, no, the, you know, the kids want to go. We just took the kids to church then. So we started you know, taking that with their permission. But I think you do it with their permission. Meddling is when you're doing it without their permission. What I found with James, I've read through the children's Bible with James three times. I didn't do that with my kids. 
But here I am, I'm doing it with my grandkids, right? James loves it. Papa Jay. And he brings the book. And so I went, you know, we've read this twice. Do you want to do it again? Yes. Okay. So the beauty of that is, is I'm putting much more energy into that. But I, I also have the blessing of having my kids like that. I do realize that some of you may not have that. So if you're meddling and they're saying you're meddling, then I think you have to back off and pray like crazy for them and uh, find little inroads. Um, like, for example, if it's at your house and you're going to pray at dinner, then you're teaching them to pray, things like that. You can do that um, without you know, too much hassle. But, um, but don't you, be the safe and loving grandparent. Here's what I think happens, and this still is answering your question. Be the cheerleader. Be the absolute cheerleader to your, um, to your grand, for your grandkids. And for your, be the be, if, the, if your kids are in the area, you be the best babysitter they can possibly be. We've said, look at what's your date night? We're on for the kids with date nights. Um, you guys are going away. Great. We'll take the kids. Um, you know, we're doing all that because what we want is we want to be able to, to say if they ever have a need or even on the spiritual side, we want to be the ones who, man, we've been there for them. And, and remember, relationships change. So if your kids are negative about it, in a year or two, they could be more positive about it too, especially if you're not hassling them or, or being preachy or meddly in Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Right. This is interesting. I had a big conversation about this last night with somebody. Um, no, I think there's a lot of times one of our biggest heartbreaks is when our kids don't connect. Our kids um, bickered and, you know, there were three girls, so they, you know, you're wearing my sweater, you're wearing my belt, you're, I can't believe you took, I've never even worn that blouse, and now you're wearing it, you know, that, those kind of things. They're not, two of them are kind of best friends, but the older one isn't best friends with the other two. They're not horrible. It's not like what, sounds like what it's experienced with you. I think in your case, the more types of things, you, you can't make it all better, and you can't get totally in involved in it. But, you know, sometimes it's <clears throat> have fun together. You know, I've got a book out there called Have Serious Fun. And what I say, when people play together, it brings them together. So have some fun. Just do things as a family and say, hey, do you guys want to do this? And, and actually have some, have some fun together. We invest a lot of time and, frankly, some money into fun with the family so that they can play together. Um, but I wouldn't jump in the middle of that. And at the same time, one of the things we're going to have to realize is sometimes they're not going to be as close as you had wished, you know, they were when they were young or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's really hard. Yeah, no, it's really hard. Yeah, I'm, my experience is that people, as you take baby steps and sometimes they do come back together or they have a moment, they probably really love each other, they want to be connected, but they aren't doing it right or well. And then one day there's going to be a time when something happens and, you know, it can gel more. Pray for them like crazy and look for opportunities where they are going to be together. And, and it was good. It wasn't perfect, but it was good. And then, you know, then the next time, well, it was not perfect, but it was good. And then, wow, maybe we will do a family vacation together. Um, and uh, maybe the family vacation, maybe you're going camping and they overlap a day or two, you know, not the whole time, but they overlap a day or two and, well, that was pretty good, you know, and then you, you begin to see it change. Um, 
I wish I could say that that's always the case. Sometimes it just simply is not the case. They just don't, they don't make it. But I, um, I'm one of these eternal optimists that think that they can continue. If, if, if done in a right manner over the process, that they, they can come back. Because I really do think that siblings love each other in a way that's different than you know, other kind of friendships or things like that. So blood is thicker than water sometimes. Not an easy answer for you because right now they're in that, that separated part. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's, um, let's I'll, I'll take some questions and whatnot personally, but I know we've got to get, we're going to do the switcheroo. Um, if you didn't uh, sign up for this next one and you wanted to sign, uh, you still want to be there, I'm going to talk about growing up digital. And for some of your grandkids, you may need to, to hang in on some of that. But I just, again, I appreciate so much Rick, Andy, Maddie, all the rest who um, allow us to have these kinds of conversations. I love that you have a church that, that does something like this. So a pleasure to be with you, um, and uh, we'll, we'll take it from there.